The scripture reading has been in Psalm 78, and that's going to be our text tonight. I'm going to, to lift just a verse there. Verse, uh, let's look in verse 40, 40 and 41. Actually, verse 41 is going to be our text. In this series of messages on parenting in the home, uh, there's some warnings here about parents and children. Did you, did you get those as we read through the scripture? We see there in verse 4, we will not hide them from our children. These things that God has done and taught. And so if we will not hide them from our children, there's a very real possibility that the message of God's word can be hidden from our children in spite of all that we do. And so that's a warning there. We will not show into the generation to come the praises of the Lord, his strength, his wonderful works that he has done. And then in verse 6, and this verse was so convicting to me as I was reading it, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born. We see what we're doing here tonight in your homes as we teach the Word of God and live it out is for generations yet unborn because we're training the, the young generation that's coming in the ways of the Lord, even the children which should be born who should arise and declare them to their children. You see, the church is a repository of the faith, the truth, once delivered to the saints. And as someone has said, we're just one generation from, from that all being gone. Now, on the one hand, God said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And yet, he still tells us to occupy till he comes and to take heed of these very things. That they might set their hope in God. This generation, by and large, sets their hope in anything but the Lord. The, the government, a job, an education, all kinds of things, their hope might be set in God and not forget the works of God. Look over in verse 40. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? So we can then provoke God and grieve him. And verse 41, yea, they turned back and tempted God. Remember, uh, when Satan asked the Lord to jump off the pinnacle of the temple, he said, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Now, when God tells us to prove him, we should prove him. There are very few times where he does, we're to prove him in faith. He says, Prove me and try me and see if I'll not pour you out a blessing which you cannot receive. But in areas where God is not to be provoked or tempted, we, we dare not go there. They tempted God. How did they do that? We would do well to find out. And limited the Holy One of Israel. Limit God? Is there not an impossibility to limit God? Well, He wouldn't warn us if it wasn't. How then is that? In what capacity? All this is for us tonight. Let's ask His blessing. Now, Lord, once again, we come and ask for the light of Your Word, the light of the Spirit, to shine His light, His illuminating light on this, Your Word tonight. Teach every heart. Speak to me, Lord, as the pastor of this beloved church, as a father and a grandfather, every parent and all those who teach our children and, and one another, where none of us are exempt. And so, Lord, these are warning signals, flashing lights, as it were in the Scripture, to speak to us. And so would you not do that? Lord, we so desperately need to hear from you. May we put aside all the other voices clamoring for our attention and hear the voice of the Spirit tonight. In Jesus' Matchless name we ask it. Amen. We see in these verses serious indictments against the children of Israel. It seems as if a prosecuting attorney, when you read, we did not for time read the entire chapter. I, I would, would encourage you to do so. This is one of those pivotal chapters in the scriptures. So much is here. And I would just ask you to devote yourself to it uh, throughout the week, maybe in your own devotion time. But it seems as if there's a prosecuting attorney who has gathered hard evidence and brings it out into an open courtroom for all to see. We note at the heading that this is a mascal of Asaph. Always note all the details of whatever portion of Scripture you're reading. And so that notation there tells us that this psalm was given for specific teaching and instruction. It has a historical, it is a historical psalm in that it is used to show God's record in dealings with his people and to move their consciences. 
Some have thought Isaiah is the human author, although we do not know because the title in verse 41 where he says, The Holy One of Israel is one of Isaiah's favorite titles for God. You see it uh, throughout Isaiah's record, and so it it sounds like Isaiah uh, when he speaks there. Nonetheless, God has always been at work in history. It is his story after all. Let not the college professors and other people rewrite the history of God. His word stands firm. God has spoken. It is settled. This is what happened. We would do well to remember this and to learn from the past. And God so graciously records for us his dealings with people individually, as we've seen through the lives of people in the book of Genesis, Jacob, Abraham, uh, Adam, and Eve. And God records these real people with struggles and faults and failures and successes to show us how God deals with the individual. And then he gives us the record of Israel to show us, shows us how he deals with nations and his people. And while the church is not Israel, when we study the, the Israel in the Old Testament, we see how God co- reacts and acts and cares for his people. And so we are without excuse with the dealings of God, and we've been given the full record of God's word, and we are the most blessed of any generation that has ever lived under God's economy, because we have the complete work of God, the finished work of Christ, the interceding Holy Spirit and His Word, and uh, we have no excuse. And yet as we read through the record, we, we see some glaring indictments against us and against our church and warnings to our families and to us as parents. Dr. John Phillips says the past is the great interpreter of the present and the great safeguard for the future. Regardless of Israel's unfaithfulness and lack of appreciation for what the Lord has done for them, he still loved Israel and watched over them with with care and skill. You noted in that last verse with skillfulness that he led them and, and with integrity he fed them. Oh, may we be skillful and do all that we do with integrity. This is how our Lord provides for us. He knows exactly the right recipe, doesn't he? What to withhold and what to put in. What we need. What would ruin us if he allowed us to have it. He's skillfully guiding all the circumstances of our lives. And just when something seems to be snatched away or out of reach... And like a toddler who's been taken away and we pout, oh, if we could see as God sees, if we could know as God knows the end from the beginning, we would know what a blessing that was that he withheld that just from just now. Sometimes a failed relationship, an ended friendship, a job situation, whatever it may be, God guides us, remember, skillfully. He knows exactly like a, an expert. Think of, I think of an anesthesiologist or someone who has to know the exact amount to do and give, maybe that's not the best illustration, but, but they have to be skillful, don't they? Or a pilot, or, or, or some surgeon with microsurgery. The right recipe, the mixing, the blending for it to be exactly what is needed. Our God is skillful. Notice the sins of God's people. And while we will not dwell there, we will recall, look there in verse 8, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. They were up and down spiritually, on again, off again, stubborn about this area that God was dealing with, not steadfast with the Lord. Look in verse 11 and forget his works. How could they? Their food was being delivered on their doorstep every day. Oh, I wonder where this came from. Oh, that's right, God brought it. But I want you to know yours comes the same way. Just because you had the freezer full and the cupboard stockpiled, perhaps, you may forget that it is God who's provided and given us all things. And and his wonders that he showed them. Look in verse 17. And they sin yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. Verse 18. They tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. 
And verse 22, because they believe not in God. What a sin. What a, what a horrible, horrible perversion not to believe God. And trusted not in His salvation. Oh, I'm saved, preacher. I know I am. Are you? Are you truly fully resting in that complete... He's saying about being complete in Christ. Or are you looking for the broken cisterns of the world, the husk of the world to supply what only God can supply? Oh, He's my Savior, but... Brother Lamb, we live in the, the, two, the, the 21st century. You don't understand with all this technology, all these pressures, all this stuff. It's different than, than years ago. Oh, it's not that different. The, the, the facts are the same. We are sinners in need of a Savior. His salvation is complete. Dare we look to anything beyond the provision of our Lord to satisfy anything in our hearts and lives. They believed not His wondrous works. Verse 37, And for their heart was not right with Him. Is your heart right with God? Neither were they steadfast in His covenant. Twice we've read that, steadfast. Obviously that's a grace, a condition in our lives that God looks for. It is required in sewers that a man be found Faithful, steadfast. Are you faithful? If we're not faithful in the least of these things, how can we be trusted with more? Some people can't be trusted with just coming to the Lord's house. They go by their feelings or by convenience. Or just the daily worshiping the Lord with His Word and prayer. The little things, the things at hand, the things you can do. You might not serve, solve, be able to solve the complexities of the universe, but you can go to the Lord and spread it out before. You can intercede. The Scripture says, I sought for a man to stand in the gap. Do you know what that is? An interceder? An intercessor? I can do that, can't you? You can take the prayer list and pray through it. Oh, we could go on, but they were not steadfast. One of the greatest commodities, if you will, in your Christian life is steadfastness. God looks for it. He searches for it. He is encouraged when he sees it in my life, in your life. What did he say about Abraham? Oh, I know Abraham. He'll see to it. He'll see after his household. He'll teach his children. How did God know that by Abraham's fastness? And look there in verse 40. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back. That sounds like backsliding, doesn't it? Someone said, a woman asked a pastor if she was leaving, shaking hands, do y'all believe in backsliding here at this church? And he said, my dear, my dear sister, not only do we believe it, we practice it here. What a sad thing that is. They turned back. That's backsliding. And tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Perhaps this was the worst of their sins. I don't know how you can categorize sins... And I'm not here to do that. But I wonder if the limiting of God was the worst. And if so, how is that done? What do you mean, Brother Lamb, by limiting the Lord? Someone might ask, is that even possible? Who can bind God? His, he, the heavens cannot contain Him. The earth is His footstool. He's beyond. His ways are past finding out. And we, a puny worm, limit God? Well, it must be a possibility or you wouldn't say they did it. And if they could do it, it is a, a glaring warning to us that we might not repeat the same sin. Can we as His church, and since this is the only church I'm a member of, you'll have to indulge me as I look into our own cupboards tonight, okay? We're family here, aren't we? How is it? How, can we as His church limit His purpose and His intention for us? We see in these verses that his people did limit him, and I believe we can as well. And remember, this is we're thinking about this warning to parents and their children in this household of faith. We see in verse 41 two great principles. God desires to work in and through his people. He could do it differently. He could have sent an angel to preach this message tonight, but obviously that's not the case. He could have, couldn't he? A flaming one from heaven to eloquently tell what he has seen and known in the very presence of God. That's not how God does it. God does his work through clay pots. He puts his glory in them, the treasure of these earthen vessels, and says, go and tell. Go and do my work for me. 
we're entrusted with the very treasures of God. I don't know about you, but there's some people I wouldn't put in, in charge of my stuff, would you? I mean, I don't have a whole lot of things, but there's some, my daddy's pocket watch. There's some few things that, that I treasure. They're, they're my treasures. They may not be someone else's, but there's some people I wouldn't trust with those things. Or your bank account, no matter how much or how little is in it. But God has entrusted to us his treasures. The very treasury of heaven. The most lavish thing in all the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The most expensive thing that has ever purchased was the gospel. And yet God gives it to us. He saves us. He sanctifies us and is sanctifying us and says, go and tell. And so we've been entrusted with the gospel. He wants us to, to use us and to have us to be a blessing to others. So we see God's desire not to be limited. And we limit God by our disobedience and our disregard for his will. Well, I wasn't just satisfied. I looked the word up, the word limited there. And I've studied this portion of scripture and it's one of those words that the more you study it, the more curious it can become. And so I go to my dear friend now departed into heaven, Dr. John Phillips. And what a treasure Dr. Phillips was and is. You know, he took an interest in me. And as he was writing his commentaries, when Dr. Phillips at the last end of the days of his life, his public ministry was really somewhat of a bother to him because he desired to be in the study writing. He had a consuming desire to finish writing commentaries on the entire scripture, and he couldn't do that. But as they would come out, he wrote the publisher and had them send me his commentaries, and he would sign them and send them to me. What a blessing that is. Well, I used to ask Dr. Phillips, I'd say, well, what does this mean? I'd, I'd find a scripture, and I'd say, what does this mean? He'd say, my dear friend, it means what it says. I always think of that when I study the scripture, because we try so often to make it into some complicated thing. And in my, I also remember my, my New Testament teacher, an Old Testament teacher in Temple, Dr. Wymel Porter. He was an unusual man, but... And he would always say, young, he had an unusual voice. Young people, if the literal sense makes sense, seek no other sense. And that's good advice when you're studying the Word of God. There it is allegory, there is pictures, but most of the time when it says what it's saying, it's what it means. And we need to just take it like that. Interesting, though, I, I, I consulted Dr. Phillips' commentary. The word limited is, is, is a verb that only occurs three times in the Bible. Now, when the Holy Spirit, who has a, a, a vast array of words at his disposal, chooses to limit a word, that's interesting, isn't it? It's used here, and it's used in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 13, and you don't have to turn there, but you remember when, when David was running from Saul, and he hid among God's enemies, and he saw, when he found out that, that Saul's, Men were there. You know what David did? You remember the story? He started letting his spit run down on his beard, and he scratched at the door and tried to act like an insane person. And so that he would, they would not think that David was an enemy, and so the men would say, well, what's wrong with him? And the other guy said, don't worry about him. He's crazy. Now, that's a pitiful sight of what we often do as believers. We lean to our own understanding and try to work out our problems in our own way. And it's always an ugly and pitiful sight when we do that. When we try to divert the truth or take matters into our own hands, that's what we come up with. David doesn't come off looking very good in that picture, does he? If we could have a video of that, that would be a sad sight to see the future king of Israel clawing. But... What I'm telling you there, that word there is translated in, 20, in 1 Samuel 21, verse 13, as scrabble. So follow me. We're going, we're going to get there. The word limited is used here means, is translated as scrabble, scrabbling and scratching around like an insane person in 1 Samuel. It, 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 he, he struck at the doors of the gates of Gath. 
It is also used, not only there and here, but it's used in Ezekiel 9 verse 4, where the prophet was told to go to Jerusalem and set a mark upon the foreheads of the few who mourned the apostate condition of the nation. There's just a handful who even had sense enough to know that they were in apostasy. And the Lord told them, go mark them, that handful, that remnant who sees the apostate condition of the nation and who are mourning over it. And so if you put all that together, the use of the word here suggests this. And if not, it should make your blood turn to ice water. And it'll give us a picture of what the word they limited the Holy One of Israel. It was, as it were, that the, the children of Israel, they, they drew a line and marked it and said, Lord, you can come, no, God, you can come no farther than that right there. Can you imagine such a thing? I know you've redeemed us and set us free from Egypt. Can you imagine what that was like? That was like if someone, the 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 annihilating of Pharaoh's armies was like someone with a, with a machine gun at your back door blowing it away, coming in to devour you, and all of a sudden they drop dead. Could you ever forget that? That close to death, no hope in sight, and all of a sudden it was gone. That's what happened when God delivered them. And we see over and over, they forget it. They turn, they've considered it not important. And remember, this generation that's being talked about here were all alive and remembered it, the ones in the wilderness. It was literally, the word means to, to draw a circle around. Now, I don't know if you did this when you were a kid, but in my neighborhood when we played, we had certain territories, and sometimes we would join up and have armies and have dirt clod battles or whatever. And I would tell Michael Hutchison, this is my area right here, and we'd draw it off and say, don't you come any closer than this right here. This is my area over here, and if you do, I'm going to hit you in the head with this dirt clod. I don't know if did anybody else play. I was the only gruesome one here, and, uh, or pine cones or whatever we could get. We played, maybe, maybe girls didn't play army, but we guys did. And we, uh, we'd say, this is mine, or we'd call it certain things. This is mine, this is yours. And, but the picture is like drawing a circle around and, 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 and they literally, in other words, they, they circumscribe the mighty and holy God who'd been so kind and so faithful to them. And this in light of what God had just done for them in delivering them from Egypt. The psalmist goes back and details the dimensions of that redemption, what it included, how vast, how glorious it was. Have you recently considered the dimensions of your redemption? What it cost? What the ramifications were? Had the Lord not intervened just when He did? You see, you don't have sense enough to know. Some of you with enough wisdom and grace can look back and say, if the Lord had not snatched me from the pit when He did at that moment... Where would I be today? Think of all that could have been. Think of what the Lord has saved you from. The sins He's kept you from. Not only the sins He's forgiven you of and delivered you out of, but what could have been had grace not been interposed when it was. See, that ought to cause you to to tremble, as the song says. Tremble. Tremble. In fact, The Bible says, to this man will I look, he that trembleth at my word. You can't read this scripture like this without trembling before it. They they tempted God. They limited him. And so, in the time remained, I want to just consider how we limit God. Who is it that limits, first of all, or grieves the Holy Spirit? This... Is in the context of this psalm, it was Israel, God's people. Today, it's His church, His bride, it's the redeemed, made up of individuals, you and me. We can commit this sin of limiting God. It is not those outside of Glen Iris Baptist Church that limit our effectiveness, that waste our resources, that think little of the things that God has entrusted to us. And our 
being a blessing to others. It's not the community outside of us and the, the city of Birmingham outside of us that limits us. Oh, no. We have a, a fear, it seems, among God's people about the, the state of the union, the direction things are headed. May I tell you that this ship is sinking and it's going to, it's going to sink at some point. But that has nothing to do with the effectiveness of God's people as long as God leaves us here. And we have no excuse. We can't blame Washington or the culture because the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ supersedes all of that combined. One little word will fail the enemy. One word of God's scripture. The problem is inside Glen Iris Baptist Church. It's inside the Lamb's house. It's inside Chris Lamb. These are, are days of apathy. If you were to ask me what is the greatest sin of the church today, I would tell you it's apathy, indifference, spiritual sluggishness, gross selfishness inside the church of Christ. Revival is needed, of course, inside the church, not outside. You see, when revival comes inside, it'll get outside. It can't help but change our, us at work if it happens in our hearts and lives and inside the house of God. And I remind you that judgment must begin where? In Washington? Montgomery? Down at City Hall? No, judgment must begin at the house, uh, the household of God, literally. And we're reminded if my people, the condition is still there. Never been rescinded. This, this condition of revival from God is ever open if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. See, that's soul searching. That's effort. That's work. That's going to any extreme whatsoever. Then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes shall be open. I'm waiting. My ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. Not only do we see who the Lord is talking to, I think we've made that clear, haven't we, tonight? It's us, okay? So easy to point out there, but it's us. Secondly, notice whom it is that we're limiting. It is the triune Godhead, the one who spoke all things into existence, the creator, the sustainer, the architect of all things, the one who's given us the very pattern that we're following tonight, the redeemer of our sins, the, the sovereign God over all, the, the, the one of whom all things are possible. Matthew 19, verse 26, Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible. Of course it is. We're so limited, aren't we? He's not with limits. He cannot be bounded. But with men, this is impossible. But with God, what? All things are possible. I have that verse where I can see it every day. It, you know where I have it? It's right by the thermostat. So I, I, I'm the keeper of the thermostat in our household. And I see it every time. With men, things are impossible. With God, all things are possible. The Lord said to Abraham, is anything too hard for me? At the appointed time, I will return unto thee. Look at the examples in this chapter of his might, of his power. In verse 13, he divided the sea. Can you do that? Got anybody who can do that for you tonight? He caused them to pass through and he made the waters to stand as a heap on any side. Verse 20, behold, he smote the rock. This is when they had no water to drink, no potable water. He smote the rock and the waters gushed out. Now, this is not just for a family or a few families. This is for over a million people, mind you. Nothing short of an absolute miracle. And the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? A rhetorical question. You know the answer. Can he provide his people flesh for his people? Then verse 43, he had wrought signs in Egypt and the wonders in the fields of Zoan. He turned their rivers, all the, the signs and wonders he did in Egypt. We could go on and on. This is the one that we're limiting. The very thing you need is what God can do, and yet somehow we're limiting it. 
We remind ourselves in every prayer meeting, the ear of the Lord is the hand of the Lord is not shortened, neither is ear heavy that he cannot save. And yet, we shorten his hand. We deafen his ear. We limit him. And so we ask ourselves, how is it that we limit God? There, there are many things listed in the psalm, and the temptation is to miss it all by saying, well, that was 3,000 years ago with the people way back then, and they were different, and this is now. But the ways that they sin and limited and grieve the, the Holy One are identical to what we do today. Time is hastening, and I'll just touch upon them. May the Lord give us His light. We limit Him by outright disobedience. Remember, these folks had been brought to the crossroads at Kadesh Barnea. And it was just a short way over into the land of promise. A land luscious, like into the garden of the Lord. He had kept it so pristine and had blessed the ones who had built the cities there and planted the vineyards and the gardens. And he was about to deliver all of that to his people as trophies of his grace. They, like so many of us, said, well, I don't know. Let's investigate. And they sent a committee in, didn't they? Nothing wrong with committees, except when God's already spoken and there's no voting to be done. Do we have to vote on sending out the gospel t- today? Do we have to vote on whether we should witness? I mean, that's, that's a moot point. You're wasting your time putting that on a prayer list. Should we say, we should wonder if we should try to get right with God? Should we pray about that? Or should we give sacrificially? There's so many things that we would use. So we'll that goes without saying we wouldn't put that on a we wouldn't pray about that. Well, they sent a committee in, and guess what? Uh, I don't know about this, guys. There are giants in the land. There are walls, the cities. You ought to see the walls of those cities. They're so thick, people live inside the walls. I mean, they went on and on and on. That committee told them nothing they did not already know. Now, remind you, this is, this is the same people who had just been let go out of slavery without any chance of ever getting free in and of themselves. They walked out of Egypt with the loot of Egypt in their pockets. Walked out with reparations. Who could do that? The Red Sea parted and they walked through. They didn't even get mud on their sandals. Brought over. The armies of Pharaoh, the most powerful force on earth at the time, was drowned. And they're saying, walled cities? I don't know about that. We're not very good at tearing down. How would we, how would we, take, how would we do that? It wasn't going to be them. How did they do it when they finally did it? Who did it? Who, bought, who knocked the walls down? Was it Joshua's expertise? Was it their artillery? Was it their resources? No, it was the one they're limiting now. The one they're putting on a leash and yanking as you would an animal. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in His law. Verse 10. The condition for the blessing of God upon our lives, the door of God's blessing, is on the hinges of obedience. This means to, to gladly and unequivocally do what He tells us to do. Let me ask you tonight, and only you can answer, and this is for us to to do homework with individually. Are you a disobedient believer? If so, where? And that question that begs to be asked is, why? Jesus said, you are my friends. If you do whatsoever I command you, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments. And abide in his love. Disobedience limits God's blessing in our lives. Secondly, we limit God by our forgetfulness. That's why he has arranged that one day out of seven we give over to him to what? He tells us, remember 
the Sabbath day to keep it set apart. Why? Because we need to be reminded of what that stands for. The creator God of the universe holds and sustains all things and beckons us to come and sit at his feet and to take of his bread and to fellowship with his people and be refreshed. He who knows all things know what we need best and he tells us to remember and yet we're so forgetful. Think of all the wonderful, amazing things God has done for you. Look at your life. Look at your children, your, your privileges, your possessions, your, your position. We can go on and on and on. He's delivered us. He, he keeps us. He holds us up. He made us wise into salvation. He disciplines us when we sin. He's answered prayers. Oh, the answered prayers we could point to. Forgetting these wonderful things limits God's blessings in and through us. Thirdly, we limit God by our unbelief. We see it there in verse 19, verse 20, verse 22, verse 32. In Matthew verse, chapter 13, verse 58, referring to our Lord's ministry at Nazareth, He did not many mighty works there, not because He could not. He did not. He chose not to do many mighty works there. Why? Because of their unbelief. Limit God? Oh, yes. We limit God by our unbelief, simply to refuse to believe his word. Unbelief paralyzes us. In Mark 9, verse 23, Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And he cried, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Fourth, we limit God by our worldliness. Look there in verse 33. For all this they sinned still and believed not his wondrous works. For therefore their, their days did he consume in vanity and their years in trouble. Their days were filled with vanity. In other words, vain things. We know what vain is? It's a zero with the edges erased out. It's nothing. It's useless. It amounts to nothing. It will come to nothing. It is nothing. And it's not going to be anything. And worldliness, the, the, the love of this world, consumed by the trivial, the passing, the silly, the, the sayings and the doings, the concerns, the philosophy of this sinful, dying world. We're forbidden to love this world. And it's the world system and the trivial fashions of it, the passing fancies. Let me ask you, what are you breaking your neck over to obtain that will be important 10,000 years from tonight? Fifth, we limit God by our insincerity. Now, this is getting closer and closer and closer to home. You may say from, from, from the outset, well, I don't do that. I haven't done that, but then we get down to sincerity. Did you know you can't fake sincereness? But insincerity tries to. And we never fake it with the Lord. We might try to feign spirituality and our sincerity among one another. You know what the Latin word for sincere is? It's without wax. Sincerio. And you've probably heard the old story told in the Roman days when everyone bought statues for their gardens. They might have some cracked ones or chipped ones as they sent, it from, sent one from Corinth to, to Rome or vice versa. And so the statue salesman would often go out there under his tent, awning tent, and he would fill in the fissures of those marble statues or alabaster statues with wax and smooth it over. And you couldn't tell that half of Nero's nose wasn't on there. Or Zeus's finger was, had a crack in it. He filled it in. But guess what happened? When they put it out in their garden around the fountain, guess what happened? When the sun came out and began to melt, Nero's nose fell off. And so people would put up signs, these are sincere statues, sincereo, without wax. They had to advertise, we absolutely do not wax our statues. And that's what the word means. Are you without wax? What do we mean by sincerity or insincereness? We look at the charge there in verse 36. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth. 
Can you imagine trying to flatter God? Let me just submit to you that we might have done that today here in this house. By singing and going through the rigmarole, but never intending to let him lead and guide us like a shepherd. We flattered God. Now, that may pass with you and me. Oh, Brother Lamb, I love you. You have the greatest message I ever heard, or whatever. You know, we might can get we might can schmooze one another, but guess who you cannot schmooze? They lied unto him with their tongues. I will serve thee because I love thee. You've given your life for me. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. From their heart, for their heart was not right with him. Neither were they steadfast in his covenant. You know what that means? They went to church and sang the songs but had no intention of living it out or carrying it out to, to the extent. Listen to the message and say, oh, that was a good message. But never intending to put it into practice. They limited the Holy One of Israel. In Matthew chapter 15, we see what Jesus said about this kind of religion. This people draw near to me with their mouths. They sang the hymns. They used the hymn book. Honors me with their lips, but their heart is what? Far from me. But in vain do they worship me. Remember what we said vain means? Nothing. There's a worship that means absolutely nothing. Nothing it is a worship from an insincere heart. A heart that does not intend to do what the song is saying and what the word is commanding. It's a horrible, ugly word that goes far deeper than sincere. That is what it really means. It, the Lord uses the word hypocrites. I want to remind us that insincerity limits God's blessing in our lives and in our church. Are you getting that this is serious business tonight, this limiting God? Well, they've been there for almost 100 years on the corner over there. Look at Glen Iris Baptist Church. What a, look at all the ministries. The question, though, is have we limited God? Not what he's entrusted us, not the glorious heritage that we've enjoyed, not the miraculous fact that this church is even here tonight when you consider all the circumstances. And we could give you a history lesson here and it would absolutely shock you. But are we what God intended for us to be when he laid on the heart of that little handful of believers who met on Granny Lonergan's front porch in the early 1920s? And they determined to establish a lighthouse here in this section of the city. Six, we, we limit God by our ingratitude. We see that in verse 42. They remembered not his hand. His hand is his provision, his blessing. Nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy. Don't ever stop being thankful for your salvation. Thankful for your family. Thankful for your church. I marvel every day when I wake up that God woke me up and that I am alive. That he's given a wife who stood beside me all these years. And a ministry that he counted me worthy to be in the ministry. I marvel at it. And that God would even use me at all. Throughout these verses we see the never ending love of the Lord. His patient and gracious provision for them in spite of their silliness and sinfulness and waywardness. And gratitude limits the Lord. Seventh, we limit the Lord by our idolatry. Look there in verse 58. For they provoked him to anger with their high places. Do you know about the high places? The high places were places of unspeakable sin, immorality, all in the name of worship. The, the grossest and most perverted acts were committed in the high places. And they moved him to jealousy with their graven images. Well, we might not have an image in our den or on the Lord's Supper table. We were speaking in the prayer meeting tonight. If y'all came in and I had a Buddha here or some a statue of Mary here, I bet my, my head would be had on a platter by the end of the service here. What do you mean? What, what, what have we gone to? 
But I'd be much more concerned about the idol that's in your heart tonight than the one that might be set up here in the church, and that's unspeakable. It shouldn't be done. But Casting down every high thing that exalts itself. See that same, that high place, unspeakable perversion. Casting it, what, is, what are we to do with it? We're to cast it down. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity what? Every thought to the obedience of Christ. They provoked Him, limited Him by their idolatry. You can't receive the Lord's blessing and I can't receive the Lord's blessing because we're filling that place with junk that we will not let go of. What is it that you love? What controls you? What is it that you refuse to give up that God's word has forbidden that stands in the way of his blessing you with unlimited blessing and usefulness? An idol is anything that comes between us and the Lord, anything that we put in place of God, anything that we rely on or delight in above him could be our name. It could be our reputation. It could be our position. It could be our children. It could be our, our marriage. It could be our degree that we're seeking after. The, the goals that we have. The job that we have. The ministry we have. All of it can displace God and cause us to limit Him. Even though it may not be innately sinful. A habit, a loved one, a possession, a position... A pastime, idolatry limits God's blessing in and through us. When I read Psalm 139, the psalmist says, Lord, you, we mentioned this last Lord's Day evening, you've designed me and woven me, embroidered me, knitted me together, designed me in heaven before you ever put me in my mother's womb. That is true. And if that is true, is then don't you think if God so intricately designed your DNA in the molecular makeup of your body, in the cells of your body, the, likeness, the likenesses you have, the abilities you have, the giftedness you have, the talents you have, he would, all of that, don't you think that this creator who does nothing by chance and everything by design has a perfect will in a, in a place of usefulness for Chris Lamb. Don't you think that? And you. The thing that absolutely causes me to, to tremble is we ought to periodically do inventory and ask the question, am I where God intended for me to be? Am I... If I've been grown in sanctification and usefulness and allowed in His will for me, am I, does, does what I'm doing, how I'm living, measure up with God, what God intended for Chris Lamb when He created me? Do I, I don't know if I put that right, but do you understand that? And when I get to heaven, will I, will I see how what could have been, what blessing could have been, what... More could have been done with this life, in your life, in this church. And, and let me just ask this, that corporately. We, we ought to start in our lives, but is Glen Iris Baptist Church where God intended for it to be when he laid on the heart of those, that little handful of believers in 1920 to establish this congregation? Not that we've maintained, not that we've just survived, not what we have done and what has been done in the revivals of the past and the souls that have been saved and the missionaries that have been sent out. But are we on target to what He wants us to be to this generation today? It's obvious that He's sustained us. It's obvious that He's called us to be. But are we what He intended for us to be? Not just that we believe right and have held to the doctrine. They're trying to hold the line. There's so much more than that. There's a world outside these doors that are dying and going to hell. And we're making daisy chains so often. And flattering ourselves. And entertaining ourselves. And limiting 
the Holy One of Israel. I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath entered the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for those that love him. In the context, that's not in heaven, not the streets of gold and the gates of pearl. That's in this life, through you. I want the adorning divine that only my God can bestow. I want in these beautiful garments to shine, which distinguish his household below. I want every moment to feel that his spirit resides in my heart, that his power is present to cleanse and to heal and newness of life to impart. I want, oh, I want to attain some likeness, my Savior, to thee, that long far resemblance once more to regain thy comeliness put upon me. I want to be marked for thine own, thy seal on my forehead to wear, to receive that new name on the mystic white shore, which none but thyself can declare. I want as a traveler to haste straight onward, nor pause on my way, nor forethought, nor anxious contrivance to waste on this tent pitched for only a day. I want, and this sums up my prayer, to glorify thee till I die, then calmly to yield up my soul to thy care and breathe out in faith my last sigh. Our gracious Heavenly Father, your word has dealt with us tonight and we confess this limiting, Lord, and I pray that you would show us, move among your people. We are yours. We cast ourselves upon you. Oh, Lord, we are a blessed church, a blessed congregation. What light we have. What provision you've given. What an open door for service has been afforded his people. Lord, have we limited you? Are we under the curse of having limited the Holy One of Israel? the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Oh, Spirit of God, would you begin with this pastor and reveal to me where I have limited you and am limiting you. Oh, Lord, may I race that line I may have drawn and as if to say, don't come any farther or, or this is mine, you can't have it. Lord, ransack us. Take away that bauble that we're holding on with a tight fist. And have your will among us, Lord. May this word go with us and continue until we see the fruit of this message in our actions and in our midst. We pray in Jesus' precious name.